Hello and welcome to the Cultural Peeps podcast. My name is Ian Wielden and I'm a lecturer in the School of Arts and Cultures at Newcastle University. This series is part of an ongoing project which explores different career pathways across the museum, gallery, heritage and wider cultural sectors. I really want this series to do three things. The first is to help early career professionals understand the huge range of ever-changing job profiles that now exist. The second aim is to help those professionals interpret job titles in the context of different venues and organisations. Sometimes jobs with the same title can be radically different depending on the organisation. The third aim is to help listeners understand that the people that make up any field of work are all human and that in turn plays a significant part in their unfolding career pathway and decision-making processes. A few caveats. The recordings that form the basis for the podcasts aren't technically perfect. They're often grabbed in busy offices and in between meetings, so you can frequently hear the everyday world of work whirring on in the background. Just a final note, these podcasts are edited down from longer conversations, but I've tried to keep in as much of the original content as possible. And welcome to episode 7 of the Cultural Peeps podcast. I'm in Newcastle, which is where I interviewed today's guest, Lucy Jenkins. I wanted to include Lucy in this series because of the range of different jobs that she's done throughout her career, from keeper to curator, lecturer, freelancer and fundraiser. Lucy's interest in art history began at Birmingham University, where she changed degrees after a first year to allow her to access an area that she developed a real passion for. And around that time, she also volunteered at the Barber Institute, as well as securing some paid work in a learning role at the National Portrait Gallery. Lucy's first job after graduating from her MA in Museum Studies in Manchester was at Bolton Museum and Art Gallery, first as an assistant keeper and then as senior keeper, where she gained experience in managing collections, putting together exhibitions using work from the permanent collections there, but also securing loans from a range of other collections, including major national organisations. Following that, she went on to become curator of the Hatton Gallery, which at that point was still part of and managed by Newcastle University. And this is when I first met Lucy, so around the end of 2001, start of 2002, when I was volunteering at the gallery during my own MA. And then a little later, we worked together when I joined the curatorial team there in 2003. In this section, we talk about the challenges of taking on a gallery that recently had been threatened with closure, which had been the case at the Hatton during the late 90s, and how, once in post, she went about developing an exhibition programme and trying to create a new identity for the gallery using a combination of the permanent collections, which are hugely varied and cover everything from Renaissance altarpieces through to contemporary print and paintings but also through the commissioning of artists to create site-specific works, as well as developing and buying and touring exhibitions. Lucy left the Hatton after she started a family with the idea of setting up as a freelancer, and this is something that we talk quite a bit about, and something that Lucy returns to again at the end of the interview in the advice section. 
Her reputation subsequently meant she was continually offered work which delayed this process for quite a few years. So before going fully freelance, Lucy worked on some local community and rural economic regeneration and development projects and also for local charities. And around this time she also worked as a guest lecturer for Newcastle University. In our interview she mentions working for Ix on the Art Museum and Gallery Studies program. At the time Ix was the International Centre for Cultural and Heritage Studies. This is now part of Media, Culture and Heritage which is based in the School of Arts and Cultures. So Lucy then started to develop her profile as a freelancer through fundraising and working on different exhibitions and projects and simultaneously worked for Durham Council at the Durham Art Gallery which was a space above the former DLI or Durham Light Infantry Museum. This became a more permanent position and the role changed once the DLI closed and at that point she started to bring all of her skills together to design an arts programme that functioned in non-traditional art spaces. A quick note here, this is a position Lucy has left since the recording of this interview. And that brings us up to her current role, which is as Cultural and Heritage Manager at Usher College, which is a spectacular former Roman Catholic seminary which closed in 2011. This is a site which is now being developed as both a heritage destination because of its unique architecture and parklands, and also as a hospitality and commercial space for businesses. As ever, in addition to things I've mentioned so far in this introduction, I've put links to sites, organisations and projects that we talk about in our conversation in the podcast description. So if there's anything that you'd like to look up that Lucy and I cover, then that's a good starting point. Don't forget you can follow the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud and Facebook using the handle Cultural Peeps. And if you want a bit more information about the Careers Pathway project or about each of the conversations or participants, then there's a project blog which is available at culturalpeeps.wordpress.com. That's it from me for now. I hope you enjoy this episode and I hope you find it useful. Thank you for joining me today, Lucy. If we could just start with a description of jobs that you currently do. Well, pulling them all together, I work as a visual arts curator um, and that encompasses two jobs, um, working as a visual arts manager for Durham County Council uh, and the culture and heritage manager at Usher College in Durham, alongside a few bits of freelance work. So how important are those job titles that you've got at the moment? So do they help you to add some definition to the roles? I think they're both quite loose <laughs> titles that, that give me a lot of freedom. I'm, right. I'm very lucky, I think, in that sense. That So do you like that freedom within that job title? Yeah, and I, I think I've got a clear idea of the overall strategic direction of the organisations and what they want to achieve from their visual arts and cultural programmes um, but then I can work out what individual projects or initiatives um, can contribute to that overall yeah. direction. When you were a child 
is this the sort of thing that you thought that you'd be doing when you were a professional, when you were a grown-up? No, I think my first, I, first thing I wanted to be was a mounted policewoman, and I wrote to Jim will fix it and asked. Wow, that's really specific. <laughs> I don't ride. I've no interest in horses either, so I don't know where, so where it came, came from. from. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't like think... a kind of mounty, like a mounted policeman. Yeah. Wow. Don't don't know. No interest. So how old were you at that point? That would have been about seven or eight, I think. Right. And then then I went through a phase of wanting to be an actress, and so I was I was always drawn to the arts, I guess. Right. Um, but it wasn't until I was at university and start, went to university to do a history degree, um, did a history of art option, and that was a really pivotal thing for me in the sense that I just fell in love with history of art and, right. um, and asked to change courses. So in my second year, changed to do combined honours, history and history of art. And, and I knew I wanted to work within visual arts at that point, very much around history of art. Um, so when you were at school and you were obviously moving through that the high school process and and potentially selecting options and things like that, what what did you pick there? Was there a relationship with the arts there? Yeah, there actually there was because I can remember again. I mean, I did did do art GCSE. I was the very first year of GCSE, right. um, and we had to pick one science. And I wrote to Sotheby's to ask if I wanted to be a painting conservator what science would be best and they went back and said chemistry and I did chemistry GCSE. So do you know where you got that from that kind of idea of being a conservator? No idea I can't remember my mum was really interested in painting and painted quite a lot um so you had that stuff so I must have been in yeah I'm and I and I knew I was interested in art and and pre-GCSE I think we'd done odd bits that were looking at Picasso and things like that. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't really remember having a fixed sort of idea that that. Yeah. But, but I do remember writing to Sotheby's about that. So I think I just wanted some advice on why I had to take a science at all, right? And how it could possibly be useful to me. Were you drawn to subjects that you were good at? Yes. So yeah. were you kind of I like art and I'm going to do yeah and English and history and and humanities right. so humanities very more much. broadly yeah. Yeah. And can you remember getting any careers advice when you were at school at all? Yeah, I can remember that we had a we had a career service at school and my history teacher was actually head of careers and we had a couple of full days. Now this might have been when I was by sixth form time, but I remember a couple of days when past students and various people from different businesses came in and talk to us and the only person I remember from that was somebody who um, was had gone into the city in some way she was quite glamorous she'd gone into the city and she'd written a couple of racy novels right and she was the person who made the most impact but again didn't follow either of her directions Um, and so did your parents play a role in any of the subjects that you I think I was quite lucky in the sense that my parents just let me choose see what you wanted and they didn't tell they never sort of told me this is what they wanted me to do um yeah. it was it was what what i whatever i was passionate about i mean my parents both neither of them in in terms of careers come from arts 
backgrounds. My mum was a nurse. My my dad was a scientist. So, but you had that art in the house. Yeah, yeah. My and my dad's very musical, and so. But it, I I was given complete freedom to to choose the subjects I wanted right. to do. Um, and did that echo on by the time you got to A levels? Yeah. So I did um, history, English, and French at A level. I think I did. I must have toyed for a bit with doing law in some shape or form because I think I did the that you can take some kind of law test at, at A level right and I, th- I seem to remember doing that so I, th- I think I was just you know Exploring. investigating lots yeah. of different things so you went to university yeah so I'd, I went to university I went to Birmingham University to um, and started off doing a, a straight single honours history degree at that point, you didn't go to that with a, from what you said before, a clear idea of what you wanted at the end of it. No, I just really enjoyed doing history. I was good at history um, and it was something that interested me. And uh, we took various uh, module options at the um, for the, I think just for the summer term or of the first year. And I chose one that was um, war depicted through art so right. we we looked it started with looking at things like Uccello and Piero della Francesca all the way through to Guernica and I remember that being one of the last uh, lectures or seminars um, it's and, like a mini survey of art yeah, history through the lens yeah, of war yeah which is quite a good yeah which was really. which just was brilliant and I really really loved that and and it happened we were all Perhaps it's the same these days, but we all had, um, you had the, the your academic tutors, but you had a tutor assigned at the beginning of the year who was your pastoral tutor. Yeah. And it just happened that my pastoral tutor was one of the art history lecturers. Right. So I went to get my end of first year results from him and hadn't was no, no more thought through than I went to get my results. And I hadn't thought about it until I was sat in that room with David and just said... Um, could I change courses? Um, and it was something that had such went on to have such a profound impact on yeah. my life and career was literally done on a whim. Would you say that the tutor was important in that process? Or? I think I think it was to to some extent. Um, it was just fate because he, he I hadn't had an awful lot to do with him. Right. Um, he was a really nice person and and. Yeah. But I hadn't had any particular issues, so I hadn't needed much support from him yeah. in a pastoral sense. And I think he taught one or two of, or given one or two of the lecturers, lectures sorry, um, on that module. But beyond that... And there was, yeah. Um, so you, so you, did you formally move at that point, so end of the first year? End of the first year. That I had to, um, for the first term of the second year, I had to do the first year of art history and the second year at the same time. Right. So it was, <laughs> was really, that the yeah. That, so but that's quite to, exciting. To give though, you a catch up, it was so, really hard going. It was really busy. Yeah. Um, but. But if you're really into something, yeah, what an, and it uh, was immersion. It was, is, yeah. So I was. I worked with the the year below, technically below with me, who were the, the new first years um, in that first term, and it was literally a survey of art history from um, from sort of medieval through to 20th century art. I think, you know, we finished with sort of Kandinsky and um, so early 20th century. 
um, and it was a, a, a flash through. Yeah. Um, and then alongside that, it was taking the second year courses, which were um, studying Spanish, seventeenth uh, century art, but particularly Spanish art. Right. Seventeenth uh, century, and and that was a, a, a the way they taught at, at Birmingham was each student you had various lectures, but for seminars each student took and had to deliver a two-hour seminar. So you had to teach it to the rest of the class. Right, okay. And you really had to research your subject. Yeah, I know what so you're doing. I remember um, the one I gave for the first-year module was on um, two of Titian's paintings in that series to do with um, Diana and Actian. You still remember yeah, really yeah, clearly. <laughs> absolutely. I can remember every single one of the seminars I gave, <laughs> the whole, for every year. Because you just, you, you must have you Done huge really, moments. really yeah, researched yeah. it. Because you had to talk for two hours. It yeah, was a two-hour yeah. seminar. Yeah. And you were responsible for giving that information across to your yeah. colleagues. So, When you switched courses, did your social life switch with that? A, a bit. And I'd gone from sing, Single Honours History, where you'd be in a lecture theatre with maybe 100, 150 people. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously you'd be taught in smaller groups as well but the I think there were 12 of us doing art history right. in, in my actual in my year group um, so it was a really um, small group so you did get to know each other very well and during the second year and maybe this was what influenced my choice in wanting to change you um, you got to go on a two week study trip right okay um, which yeah going to Spain for two weeks might yeah, have yeah. been part I of I couldn't see that <laughs> um, so I think that travel as a group a small group as well did really bond us yeah um, and uh, you know we went to Madrid and Seville and spent several days from nine to five or ten to five in the Prado and um, yeah but it was really good fun did that really start to crystallize where you were heading it sounds as if it did yeah I mean I think once I, d- I didn't know quite what I wanted to do with it but I knew I wanted to do something directly relating to our history right. um, and so by the time I got to the the end and I and I think I was always quite interested in that in the work the role that art can play in sort of in interacting with other subjects or or um how it how it exists in society and reflects society so yeah. I specifically because I was still doing history alongside you could only do art history as a combined on a subject uh, for our dissertations we had to uh, choose a painting either from the Barber Institute, which was Birmingham University's own art gallery, or from Birmingham uh, City Museum and Art Gallery, from their collection. So I very specifically chose uh, a portrait of Oliver Cromwell because I wanted to do something that combined the history yeah, and the art history. So I ended up writing my dissertation about the change in um, royal portraiture because of the Civil War. Right. Um, so I, I looked at a lot of uh, Van Dyck and how and, and people around him um, portrayed Charles I and then the, the quite different or not so different sometimes um, approach to portraiture um, during that um, interregnum period. Yeah. Do you remember having guidance when you were at university from any staff there or from lecturers or people that you interacted with about what you might be able to do with that interest that had gained momentum yeah I mean I think we were aware that um, 
that our lecturers, and there were only, at that point, there were only three art history lecturers. Um, and um, the, the professor who, um, who was head of department um, was also director of the Barber Institute. So right. his role was a dual teaching role, but also then running the gallery right um so again we were all encouraged to to do guided tours right, uh, in okay, the gallery and interact with real objects and, and, yeah. and works of art um and at that point the barber institute didn't uh do temporary exhibitions but um we knew our tutors were involved externally in curating shows and right. were publishing and um, I can remember uh, somebody also talking to me about going into librarianship from there as well, but it wasn't. Uh, it just wasn't something that really grabbed me. Right, is it a three-year yeah. course there? Yeah. So your second year is the the second and the first year combined into one kind of a really intense year, and then the third year, I guess, it's like dissertation. And yeah. So yeah. throughout that period, were you volunteering and and? I wasn't, other than, uh, yeah, I was doing odd guided tours when there were open days, so for other students um, and parents who were coming around for graduation and things like that. Okay. Um, but I didn't do any other voluntary work anywhere else right. at that point. And I don't think, I, I still don't think I'd quite thought museums necessarily. Yeah, okay. um, I'm trying to think what... I think I was applying for things in... I remember writing, you know, wanting to apply to the BBC and doing some... applying for jobs in advertising and quite a broad range yeah. of things. Um, but I was was also writing to art galleries and I wrote to the National Portrait Gallery um, and I don't know whether I wrote directly to the Education Department, but... Um, I'd obviously written in my letter about my dissertation, which was about uh, Charles I and Oliver Cromwell and, and portraiture in that period. And they wrote back to me and said, would I be interested in coming down and mm-hmm. um, helping out or, or uh, helping out on some of their teaching and potentially de- delivering some lectures myself? Um, and I can remember being really daunted. <laughs> I'm quite not surprised. Scared. That's quite, it is quite scary. Um, and I look back and think, God, that was such an opportunity. Yeah. Um, and and so I didn't didn't do a lot because I was living in Leicester. I'd gone back home to my parents, um, so which that... is within striking distance of, of yeah. London. So, um, so I did. I went and I started out shadowing, and then I delivered. So very was that sessions voluntary or was no? That I was paid, paid for it. As well, wow. On a on a sessional basis. Fantastic. Um, so did that, that stuff you did at university obviously help feed into that? Yeah, and I had the confidence to stand up and, and talk to... I mean, it was a mixture. I remember there were, we'd, I did some stuff with, um, with primary school kids, um, but then I was also doing some stuff with sixth formers. Yeah. Um, and, but that's quite hard, making that transition. And having no teaching experience. Yeah, like it's but adapting level that, is really hard. That, um, as you say, that that method of of, te- of the way they taught the the art history course in the sense that we had to deliver seminars, I think just equipped me with skills that I just Huge. wouldn't have had otherwise. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that definitely made a huge difference. So, how soon was that after university? I can remember going down. I probably don't don't think I did any sessions on my own until after Christmas, but I went down before Christmas. Right. So within. 
within months. Six months yeah. or so, maybe yeah. a bit more than that. I had also started doing some voluntary work at Leicestershire Museum and Art Gallery. Right, okay. So, and again, it, all of it seemed to link back to things that I had done, had studied in my undergraduate degree, because one of my final year modules had been uh, looking at the First World War and art and society in the First World War. Um, so we'd done a lot around German Expressionism, and one of the big strengths of Leicester's uh, art collection was its German Expressionism. Yeah. So I could make it, you know, I, I was able to come with knowledge and um, of that particular collection, and, yeah. and so I was cataloguing stuff and um, for them, and, and at least I knew what, what yeah. I was looking at. Were you going backwards and forwards at Yeah, that point? I was day trip or staying with friends yeah. who were living in London. And were you working elsewhere at the time? I was temping. Like loads of other yeah, stuff. Yeah, I was temping to, you know, I was, I was lucky I was living with my parents so I didn't have rent to pay. But yeah, um, yeah I did a lot of temp, secretarial temping. Right. So in fact, one of the first things that I did after I'd graduated, my, my parents sent me off, this is the day, days before PCs and... Um, to do a touch typing course right okay and it just meant I could always work yeah, yeah. Um, so I do yeah a lot of a lot of temping so did the experience at Leicestershire Museum and at the National was was that the thing that set you on the course that you've pursued yeah so then I think through the the work experience in Leicester the curator there um, said well have you looked at the MA courses in museum studies um so I did start looking at those. Um, so I applied to Leicester and to Manchester, which I think there was a course in London and a course in St Andrews as well. At yeah. the time, there were literally four courses. Um, and had interviews for both um, and got offered places at both courses. Um, but because my parents lived in Leicester, they offered to finance me to go away. But it's quite interesting that you, I was going to say, you chose to go away and, you know, from Leicester, you could have stayed at home for another year or... But my parents were prepared, uh, you know, very generously prepared to support me. they saw the value in... I think they saw the value in me being... Yeah, absolutely. And maybe wanted as well. Their independence back as well, (laughs) you know, suddenly... Put those words in your mouth there. They wanted their car back, probably. (laughs) And, and, And I think... The Manchester course was very was the only one that was specifically art gallery right. based. All the others were museum studies, and and it was the art that I was most interested in. So that was there was a a, a specific I guess academic reason for wanting to go to Manchester. Yeah. Did you have an idea about whether you wanted to be a curator or, or did you have a defined idea of what? No, I don't think so. Interested in the whole sector at that point. And I, well, I think I was really, perhaps because of what I'd done at the MPG, um, I was really interested in education. So when it came to writing my postgrad dissertation, it was on on the educational role, right? Um, of or the edu- educational potential of art gallery. Yeah. Um, Were you volunteering? Whilst you were or working as well, whilst you're doing your MA. No, that you know, I, I was again lucky enough not to need to do that. Yeah. Um, and there was no placement element of that course. Right. So. I, I didn't didn't really gain any additional experience. 
in, in terms of the experience you had and the opportunities that provided for you in, in a comparable way to the cohort that you were in, did that experience that you'd had before you went there help you? Yeah, I think I, was, I probably had more experience than... But everybody had a little bit of work experience, right. I seem to remember. And it was, a, it was an international bunch, so um, there were a couple of Greek students, there was uh, at least one, if not two, American students, an Italian student. And again, it was a small cohort, yep. out, 15 of us maybe. Um, so, But I, I guess having experience at somewhere like the, a national... Um, nobody else had that yeah, sort of experience yeah. and nobody else had paid you know no, and actually it's really unusual but really good it's... yeah and actually get what the work because i'd i'd been at the, the voluntary work i'd done at leicester museum and art gallery um there were a few things that they ended up paying me to do so again i delivered a couple of workshop sessions for yeah. them i remember back then and we're talking um what are we talking mid 90s um the, the National Gallery was touring pictures to the regions then, so yeah. they borrowed Rousseau's Tiger in a Tropical Storm Forest. And so I did a couple of family workshops for them and they paid me for that. Right. Um, so I guess that idea of sessional work and or freelance work. Yeah, when you got that quite early on, it doesn't feel quite as daunting later on, yeah. I guess. Yeah, and you... I think it, it, it makes you think, well, you know, there are different ways in which... A yeah, job can stack build. up. Yeah, yeah. You came to the end of the MA. Yeah. And um, you were in Manchester. And then I had... Mm, I, I came back home again. My poor parents had to <laughs> take I'm me back again. to see you. <laughs> um, and it was almost another wilderness year. Um, and applying for jobs and um, and having into... But, but temping... Well, no, I wasn't temping then. I, I went one of the clients that I attempt for in between my two degrees um, was uh, the local NHS uh, in an admin capacity and they offered me uh, an admin job right. to, to do so I um, so I was working full time um, and then just applying for museum and gallery jobs yeah. alongside that um, and applying for all manner of jobs everything going absolutely um, so I can, you know, the and I was getting, I did get interviews. I'm trying to remember the different interviews I got. Do you think that if you'd have applied for an education one and got it, would that likely have dictated that path yeah, forever? And quite possibly, I think. I think it is luck and chance and happenstance. And yeah. So I did. I was interviewed for an education job at, um, I think it was the Museum of Childhood. And I had to go down and do a demonstration of an activity I would do with right. kids. I didn't get that job. Um, I also had an interview for a curatorial assistant, or I think it's that sort of post, um, at the RAF Museum. Wow. But it was actually, the interview was in their stores. Um, and uh, just, it was, yeah, quite, quite a bizarre experience because... Um, it was it was all military personnel interviewing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I was given various objects, including one which was turned out to be a, a bomb timer, that were objects <laughs> objects from their collections that I had to try and identify, and I failed that miserably. Didn't get that job either. Um, and I must I, I must have had five or six interviews for different things, possibly more. I just can't remember right. until I got 
the interview that I got the job. Do you think they were looking for really specific skills for those jobs and that they were looking for people with a particular experience in the field subject specific? Um, I don't know. I think I think at that stage, in, and, and I'm partly putting up my own sort of view on this as a somebody subsequently interviewing, I, th- I would imagine they're also looking for somebody who looks like they can get on with stuff and will just make an impact. Yeah. Um, and it is it is a real chance though because I can remember the job the job I did the first job I did get which was an assistant curator job at Bolton Museum and Art Gallery. Um, I'd got the uh, interview letter for that, and I'd got an interview letter for an exhibitions assistant at the Museum of London. Right. And that was the job I really wanted because it paid better. Um, and that was the first interview, and I then got a phone call just before the interview date saying their funding had been put on hold and therefore they weren't doing the interviews so um they so it ended up the Bolton job the Bolton interview then came up did that interview got offered that job um so took it yeah and then literally about three or four weeks later got a phone call from the <laughs> Museum of London saying we are now in a position to interview can mm. you come for interview and I was like well no but and I might well not have got that job either. Yeah. But it could have could have gone different ways. So you were really willing at that point to even relocate. Yeah, absolutely. So you kind of nothing to hold you in any position at that point in the I was prepared to go anywhere. In fact, one of the other interviews I had was at the Fitzwilliam in Cambridge for an assistant in the print room, I think. That was the right. very first interview I had. Um so I would have I would have gone anywhere. Yeah. Um I I remember going up to there was some almost a freelance position doing something with the Paolozzi studio at the, um, yeah, uh, the, so going up to that. Um, was that was that just as it was open in Edinburgh? The, it was, they just acquired the collection. The that, yeah, they just acquired the, the collection, so it was all modern. in store and it was cataloguing right, okay. his studio. Um, and it was a part-time job. And they came back to me and said, we're going to offer it to somebody local because we can't see how you can manage to relocate to Edinburgh on a part-time salary. Right. Um, that might have just been their gentle way of letting me down, but, you know, as, as all things turn out, you know, the, the Bolton was a, a great job and, um, yeah, just set me on the, yeah. on the path. So uh, there's a bit of a museum thing as well as art galleries happening there, isn't there? I would, yeah, I was willing to, to any, take anything yeah. right. that would sort of set me on that path and I think you've got to be where you can be prepared to be pretty open so you started at Bolton yeah so I was an assistant keeper of fine and applied arts or fine and decorative art Um, that's a full-time role that was a full-time job yeah Um, and and so there was and there was a senior curator and and there was just, so there was just the two of us and a technician in in that department, but it was a museum, so there was that was the art department. There was also um, um, there was also natural history, social history, uh, and an ed- a big education team. So there was um, an education officer who was specifically um, doing work around the art yeah. gallery program. Yeah. Did you at that point think? You were settled there, and were you thinking it was a, a step towards something else, or 
Um, was it fixed term, I guess, is the... No, it was a permanent job. Right. So, yeah, I'm not sure they, they entirely exist anymore. Right. Um, so, I think it was this... I think I saw myself as this was a would be a stepping stone to move at some point, but yeah. I had no clear idea what that would be. And I guess because I hadn't had a, a job up to that point, I didn't really know what bits of it would interest me. So, yeah. with that job, I was... Um, I can remember the first one of the first sort of tasks I was given to do was to um, there was bizarrely within the art collection there was a collection of dolls and they had bought they they were being currently stored in non-acid free boxes so my first job was to to rehouse all these creepy dolls um, <laughs> which was just it's like a nightmare like, like Victorian yeah and some of them had eyes missing and were cracked and right. it was um, and, and I was putting them into these little coffin like acid free boxes <laughs> well at least that was my imagination anyway um, so there was collections management stuff um and uh but we we also had a temporary exhibition program um which was both um largely uh well, well it was largely collections when when we started but this this the senior keeper of art um who went on to become my husband um he was quite new in post as well um, and he'd come from a background of doing quite ambitious exhibitions at the Lane Art Gallery in Newcastle. Um, so he was keen to really develop the um, the exhibition programme at Bolton. Um, so, and he'd already got links down at the National Gallery and had a history of borrowing from nationals. Um, so sort of set set down that path doing that sort of exhibition yeah. in Bolton. Um and that was really exciting um to to be borrowing major works from national yeah. collections and pulling together a lot of thematic exhibitions. Um so we, we did um I can remember going down to the National Gallery and and actually having a meeting with um Christopher Brown who was the then deputy director who just seemed so lofty to me. I couldn't <laughs> believe he was taking time out of his busy busy schedule to talk to two curators from Bolton. Because yeah. this was still quite early days for nationals really engaging yeah. with regional museums. So, uh, and we'd, I think we'd asked, we, we were putting together an exhibition um, called The Art of Eating, so food and meals and things in... Um, and we'd we'd asked for uh, Velasquez's supper Emmaus and so you went in nice and low. Oh, then. We, yeah, we went in really <laughs> really high. <laughs> that was the way Adrian worked, and um, and I, I vividly remember. What so if you ask for ten masterpieces, they might yeah, give you'll you get three. Or... <laughs> <laughs> um, and and Christopher Brown sort of took it in really good spirit and said. Um, uh, you, you know you can't really have those yeah. but we do really want to work with you and let's look so they took us through the reserve collection it's and, a great strategy isn't it yeah and so we <laughs> ended up borrowing about eight paintings from them yeah. um including some one of them was i think a, a 15th century panel piece that's some really beautiful works yeah. um stunning still life um, so we did, we put on quite a big exhibition in the end, and uh, with loans from the National, uh, and a, a Hal's loan from the Royal Collection, 
So we, we had some stunning, I look back at that and think, yeah. just some stunning loans. And then lots, we borrowed a lot from um, collections around the North West, yeah. here, which were great. So, um, so I think, and, and that's when I just, I, I sort of learnt to, or I found that I really enjoyed the exhibition side of things. Right. Um, so was the team small enough for it still to be all hands on deck? Yeah. So during installs and yeah and destalls and things like that. Yeah, so um, I mean we had technicians, so I wasn't wielding power tools or anything. Right. Um, but um, yeah, it and and it would be very full on, and and that I think that was what fired me was the excitement of putting up an exhibition yeah. and that opening up crates and revealing wonderful paintings and. Um, so did if Adrian was a senior at that point yeah. on the team he had he had a budget that he was in charge of for the first time yeah uh, and he I think he took took on responsibility for marketing because I don't think there was again we're, t- we're talking mid 90s and and the idea of really thinking about marketing there was no staff responsible for marketing at all yeah. so again he managed to find some get some funding in place to then take on a marketing assistant, so she so our department grew. Um, we, um, as we were putting on bigger exhibitions and getting grants in for different things, uh, I, we also took a curatorial assistant on because we would and I was increasingly tied up with exhibitions. We weren't doing as much collections management, right. which you know we're still aware needed to happen, and 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 it was again at that time when. We still had card indexes for a lot yeah. of stuff, so we wanted to get stuff electronic, and and that Pretty was quite innovative at the corresponds time. Corresponds with a period, I guess, where there's more resource being allocated to the sector. Yeah, and I, but I think also um, Adrian came from a background of, of working for Tyne and Weir Museums, right. who were at that point seen very much as the leaders in public engagement. Right. Um, so it was about how do you put things on that will have really broad appeal and, yeah. and will engage with people who might not normally come to museums yeah. or galleries. Um, so alongside big exhibitions, he was also, I remember um, one of the first, just as I started the, an exhibition that they just put up was he'd been working with a team of staff from the local Morrison store to come into our picture stores and choose works and put together an exhibition right um and that was very much from the the examples that he'd experienced um at time and Wear museums so how long in total were you at bolton for or did you change roles while you were at bolton um i it so i think i would have been at bolton for nearly five years and during that period of time um Adrian did a, uh, this was the time of the Millennium Awards, and he got a Millennium Award to go and spend six months working down at the National Gallery. Um, so in that period, and this again, this is where funding was available, um, I was given the opportunity to act up into the senior keeper role. Right. So um, I took on far more responsibility for managing staff, um, and and I guess I do already started taking on more responsibility for for monitoring budgets anyway because um that was something i probably was better at than than he was and and 
probably more interested in than he was. <laughs> um, so, I yeah, I think um, I I was oh in that period of five years I went from being sort of this slightly wide-eyed. This is oh yeah, I'm amazing. I've got, I've got job. a job to actually thinking. Well, okay, what is a strategy for something? And and I. De- I deputised for him at numbers of different things, and um, so you kind I've of been invested given in more responsibility. Yeah, invested in as time went on in terms of your role and and fulfilling yeah, potential. Yeah, and I think I think you, I, I looking back, I t- took opportunities and pushed to get opportunities right. as well, and I think you've got to be prepared to do that. Yeah, confident without. Overstepping. Yeah. yeah, and I think you've got to be, but you've got to, it's about confidence in yourself to be able to do things. It's and... quite a difficult thing, I think, especially when, you know, once you've got experience that helps inform decision making processes, but when you don't have the experience behind you, trying to apply that confidence is sometimes quite difficult in the early stages. But I think it's, it's being, being willing to approach something and, or, propose something so I can remember uh, having an idea for an exhibition that was again linking back to the days when I t- uh, taught at the National Portrait Gallery I'd, I'd got an idea for a portrait exhibition um, and I I'd, I'd must have been down in London doing something and I'd come back with a bunch of postcards from there and and I can remember going and saying um, to, to Adrian um, and this was long before we were in a relationship yeah. Um, I've got this idea for an exhibition. What do you think? And laying out the postcards and sort of saying, this is how I would lay out an exhibition. These are the kind of themes I think this would really engage with this audience. Yeah. And I can remember being really nervous about doing it <laughs> and him going, okay, so what sort of budget do you think that's going to cost? And and by then I sort of knew what transport cost and that kind of thing. Well, I think we need this to start with. And, yeah. and I think it, you might get turned down, but I think give it a go because I, I hadn't, ex- I just sort of said, oh, I've got this idea, not really expecting him to say, okay, well, we'll do that expression. Um, so it's about, you know, you've got to have people in place that, that will support yeah, you. But I yeah. think it's also having, just being brave enough to to try out your ideas yeah. and sound, sound people out. Why did you move on from Bolton? Well, I guess again, uh, by the by the time um, uh, towards the end of that that period, Adrian and I were now in a relationship. We were living together, um, and he'd been applying for jobs, and um, he got the job he's still in now um, as director of the Bose Museum. So we were relocating to a different part of the country. For about three months, I did commute between County Durham and Bolton which is a two-hour drive yeah. each way. So I started applying for jobs pretty much as soon as he'd got his job at the Bows. And I was lucky, again, to to get um, the job, an interview for the job as curator at the Hatner Gallery in Newcastle yeah. um, and, and fortunate to then be offered the job. Um, so uh, really I had quite a, a small period when I was doing a silly commute. Yeah. And I think that I, I again, it's it's about being in the right place at the right time. I think sometimes as well. So that the the, the Hatton had just done gone through quite a turbulent period when um, the university was had had looked to close the gallery, yeah. 
um, there was a change in the way the gallery was structured so it, it it went from being part of an academic department within fine art to being managed as a, a part of the university's cultural offer but at the at, at that point it was you know it had relatively little internal support it had relatively small audience numbers and its um, exhibition program was um, quite limited yeah um, so in a sense it it didn't it didn't you know it had a, a huge profile as a gallery in the past but it had gone through a dip I guess yeah um, which makes it a great position to take because there's only one way to go really yeah, with yeah. it um, so I think I think I was offered that job because I think I talked about things that were about engaging different audiences yeah, yeah. and and being ambitious and I think I think they took quite a risk on me but I think there was there was a de- desire to shake things up a bit yeah the interview process was um I had to give a presentation in the morning and and I'd and this was in the days of OHPs <laughs> the pre-powerpoint so yep absolutely well before powerpoint um <laughs> And, and written the HPs. No, no, oh, yeah. I had I had done them and I'd printed out three versions, expecting there to be three or four people. I don't know how many right. versions I'd printed off, but and I walked into this room with about twenty academics. Okay. And I just was like, oh, okay, this is not what I was expecting. Um, and 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 yeah, I was yeah. asked questions that were very academic in nature, yeah. art history questions. And, um, then in the afternoon there was a more formal interview, um, with people who were I think I think there was one person from a museum's background but the, the rest were university senior university positions okay. um, and there was a there was a steering group um, that was sort of the management group for the Hatton and uh, so there were people on on the interview panel from that so there was a professor of English a professor of mathematics and then there was somebody from uh, so council. Were they, so were they looking for the gallery to be able to engage across those subject areas there, or was it just a representation? I think they of... were just represent. Right. But I think they. So one of the 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 person for, who was on council was somebody from a business background, and so I think they were. Um, I think they were just looking for people who were didn't fulfil a really traditional. Right. And I can remember um, some. I think there'd been. Uh, this non-museums person from council sort of saying oh something about oh well you would think doing anything about uh, football would be um, you, you know you'd laugh at that and I was, I was like well actually we did an exhibition yeah. about football um, in Bolton so I think it was I think they just thought they might get something a bit different yeah so you started there in 2001 okay um and again, a small, small team, yeah. tiny budget. The team grew though quite a lot, didn't it? Yeah, but by the time, but by the time I'd left, I think we, when I started, there was myself full time. There was a deputy curator full time, uh, a full time, no, a part time education officer at the time, and then two curatorial assistants who really at that point just looked after the reception desk. Yeah. Um, but everybody on that team was 
was ambitious and wanted to do exciting yeah. things and wanted to stretch themselves. So the people who were in the curatorial assistant roles, um, I just felt, you know, them sat on the desk was not using their skills and potential. Yeah. And so it was how can we get them much more involved in curating exhibitions and looking after and doing things with the collections. And, and also quite quickly, it was about making that education post full-time because we had schools wanting to come and do things. Yeah. Um, so we, we had, but we didn't have the capacity. So um, it was where, and, and the approach I took was the university, uh, compared to the other university museums, the Hatton was getting a tiny amount of funding um, because we at that point they hadn't been tying in with they hadn't been making themselves seem seem valuable to the university yeah, yeah. so it was how do we do things that that support the university's broader agenda and I think that's you've got to have a strategic approach of, of understanding the bigger picture of who, yeah. whoever your key stakeholders are whether it's local authority university um, and working how you make yourself valuable because that's how you'll get them to fund the things that you want to do. Yeah. And it, it, I think for me, it's always been about, I know what I want to do. I know what I find interesting. How do I make that valuable and interesting to other people yeah. and to people who will give us the money to do it? There are probably parallels then between the Hatton and the exhibition programme that, that developed there and the work that you were doing at Bolton a growing number of temporary exhibitions, touring exhibitions, new commissions, and yeah, I mean, I think it was at the Hatton that um, that I really, you know, I came there came there from a background of of almost exclusively working with historical collections. I'd done one contemporary show, no, I'd done one contemporary show in Bolton, and I had commissioned a contemporary show just before I left, which I didn't see through to completion. Um, and and so I wasn't very experienced in and and confident with contemporary art, but the Hatton had a history of, of was a space to show contemporary art, but it had this collection that I felt hadn't was a, a really overlooked. It's got a really weird collection. It's got a really <laughs> weird collection because its its purpose was as a teaching collection to, to so to show examples from the renaissance through to yeah. contemporary printmaking so it was never done uh, never put together as a cohesive collection in that yeah. way but actually i think it makes it quite interesting and yeah. there's some gems in there and it just seems such a shame yeah. that nothing was being done with them so i but i w- was keen to that we maintain the contemporary program as well but i it was there was a real learning curve for me because it's completely different working with living artists and putting shows up with living artists. And so I think probably what helped me was doing a number of things in conjunction with other partners. So I think that one of the shows that was up as I started at the Hatton was something that had been done uh, with Northern Print Studio. So we went on to have a a number of relationships and and projects that we did in collaboration with them. so bringing in partners who were experienced in, yeah. in working in that area. Um, Did you have a, a, an idea where you thought, okay, in a year the gallery might be doing this and in three years the gallery might be doing this, in five years? Or was it a case of, right, let's just see what works with the audience and how I mean, I had to respond. write. I had to write a business plan because there wasn't no business plan. Yeah. So there, there 
we created a five-year plan and and it was around increasing visitor figures yeah so actually again just just some quite simple things like just ramping up our marketing yeah um putting on more populist exhibitions um and some of the stuff i got wrong because i think there there are exhibitions that i put on in those or not necessarily wrong but because they they did they um they were successful in attracting more visitors and yeah. we increased visitors quite quickly but they perhaps they weren't the the kind of um exhibition identity that that by the time I finished at the Hatton after five years, I think we'd got a clearer identity of what an exhibition programme looked like. It was still yeah. quite varied, and I think that variety was always useful. I can remember um, early on when I started, um, we were getting funding, core funding towards running costs from the Arts Council, and somebody at Arts Council saying to me, well, you need to, you ha- you need to develop a niche. You can't do an exhibition of... Uh, Georgian uh, satirical prints one week and a contemporary exhibition um, right. the next month. You can't do that. You've got to have an well, identity. The, the galleries within that region should be segmented into particular audiences. Yeah, or or t- types. You know, you've got to be known for yeah. showing particular types of art. And and whilst I th- I think there is merit in that to some degree, I actually think having variety means that you can ex- broaden your range of audiences. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I don't that's I quite still an interesting do. attitude in, a, in what is really now you can retrospectively look at as quite a transitional period in the understanding of the role that museums and galleries can play I mean even the way that the university was changing its attitudes from that period where it was looking to restructure and whether the, the Hatton was a part of that mm. to three or four years later where it was appointing a curator with a very direct focus within its cultural offer so there's something that's really fascinating about that transitional period there yeah i mean i i you know i talked about it in um seminars and things with students that it what was it that sort of cycle of change organizational change you know i was still at a even though that the change had you know that intense period of change had happened they they still hadn't really i don't think um, done a huge amount in addressing visitor figures and that's what the university wanted to see that yeah. that there were people using this space um, and so I put on exhibitions that I just thought would bring people, people in, in. Yeah. Um, and then I think over time I was then thinking about I had once I'd had more time to be imposed and understand how a university worked and uh, it was then about how do we tie things not just to fine art but how do we make our program and any commissions that we have what how do we make that relevant to a much broader spectrum within the university so so i started quite early on um uh trying to engage with people from different disciplines and we did a lot over the period of time i was there with um science and art collaborations yeah but also we were doing things with uh, the history department and the English department. And so we, there'd be things where we would try to think now. <laughs> I can't remember everything. But, um, f- so one of the commissions um, that was, uh, and I still think um, was probably one of the, the 
really good examples of bringing the different aspects of the Hatton together in what I, I think was a really good exhibition. Um, so um, was the, the exhibition Naming the Money that we did with Labena Himid, um, who'd been an artist I'd commissioned to do something in Bolton and then left, so I hadn't seen that exhibition or hadn't managed that through. Um, so I'd invited Labena to come up and look at the Hatton's collection. So it was about how can we use the collection to inspire contemporary art. Mm-hmm. And I sort of just said, come and have a look, come spend a bit of time in the stores um, and then let's have a think about what you might make in response to that. So, um, And because of, uh, of her work around, uh, so much of her work was around slavery and, and the piece that she produced was very much around slavery. We worked with the history department to organise a conference around slavery. Um, we worked with history and politics, I think, with that. So right. it was about how you can draw different disciplines into the yeah, relevance. Yeah. Um, and the, the, the exhibition that you curated on Tapia, I think yeah, you did stuff yeah. with the Spanish department. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to make... It was, it was about security in many respects. I wanted to make uh, as broad a base within the university be supportive of the Hatton yeah, and yeah. see that it was relevant. So political kind of yeah, security. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then if, if, they, if there's a, a broad belief that there's a relevance to the Hatton, then they'd invest more money in it. The, that, the, role, the role I had in Bolton was very much a, a traditional curatorial role, curating yeah. exhibitions or, or looking after collections. Um, but by the time I was at the Hatton, it was a management role. So I, I tried to curate a few exhibitions, but I didn't and end up having much time to do yeah. that because it was about making the political moves to, to get people on board. And, yeah. you know, as I say, we started with a tiny, tiny budget um and in terms of what the the university invested in in the gallery in terms of core funding was really small so yeah. we were getting money from art directly from arts council and from northern arts um and by the time i left the the i, I can't remember the exact figures i it, it was written at the time because I said it was my biggest achievement was that a massive shift in the investment that the university put yeah, in. Yeah. Um, so you left the Hatton, what, 2000? 2006. Okay. What made you decide to leave the Hatton? So I had uh, a year um, when I wasn't at the Hatton because I was on maternity leave and you know, I think, like I'm sure a lot of women and men, um, I having children had a huge impact on where my career went yeah. um, and what I wanted to do. And, and perhaps if I'd lived close by and it had a 20-minute journey into work, yeah. I could have made it work more easily. But um, as it was, I was potentially doing an hour and a half drive each way, yeah. so a three-hour round trip commute uh, to Newcastle and I just found it exhausting Um, and the Hatton I'd I'd put everything into the Hatton and now I had this other person that I wanted to invest in (laughs) and I I was just very torn and I didn't feel I could do the job I wanted to do in the way I wanted to do it anymore so I 
left with the intention of going freelance, yeah. um, but with nothing clear to go to. What, what process happened after that, after you'd left in terms of going freelance? That's quite a scary, yeah. for a lot of people, that would be quite a scary move. Yeah, and I think I'd, I'd sort of have an idea that that's what I would do. And then actually in that period of um, my uh, notice period, I was asked to apply for a job it locally in my nearby village in a rural area to do to do something that was not arts museums at right. all um, but was around um, economic regeneration um, and, uh, and and rural regeneration and so um, I got offered a part-time job that was five minutes from home um, and at that point I really thought I'm walking away from the arts and museums and I'm quite interested in what this might offer but it wasn't what I was passionate about but there were lots of transferable skills because it was about marketing and and you know so when I was at the Hatton I talked a lot about well how does how can we make the Hatton contribute to the regional economy how do we make it support tourism Um, it sounds if you almost doing that towards the end of the hat and further you weren't away from the curatorial stuff yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah, it's just, That's Absolutely. the job title that you had sat within the arts. So I did that for... Um, I did that for about three or four years. And um, so I was doing that sort of half-time and then another chari- local charity. Because I think that the reason I'd got that job, I think, or was asked to do that, was um, because I had a lot of experience... or I had a reasonable amount of experience then in fundraising. Right. Um, because to make things happen at the Hatton, I'd applied for grants Everything, and things. Yeah. Um, so th- this job would involve fundraising, and, and then a co- another local charity, um, agricultural charity, asked me to do some fundraising for them. So I was sort of doing that and uh, part-time. Um, and, and then I think I got asked by Newcastle University to come come back could I just fill in for somebody's teaching yeah. um, in uh, art history for the, uh, initially actually and, and I delivered one module which was a Friday morning nine o'clock lecture <laughs> good turnout for that <laughs> good turnout for that it was a struggle for me getting there um, which was leaving at some ridiculous hour by this time I had two children um, I would come in I would do a lecture and, and then and then I, so I, yeah, it wouldn't, I wasn't having to be here several days, nine till five. Um, And I jumped, to be honest, I did jump at the chance and it was kind of this sort of, I I don't think I'd realised quite how much I missed the arts. Um, And I I had sort of, in my own head, I think I'd sort of accepted that I, for the sake of my family, I was walking away from that. Um, And and then after I'd done that particular module, Ix had asked me then to come and uh, cover um, Chris's teaching and so I came back uh, and did that um, and it but again it was all I could do it for short periods yeah. rather than it being a sustained intense thing. for or the yeah. traveling for short a short limited period not rather than knowing you've got to do this every day for yeah forever and I was still I was and I was still doing this other job um, in in terms of economic development um, and I'm really glad, with hindsight, I'm really glad because I learned loads of different skills from yeah. that, that that I can transfer back into the arts. Um, but again, thank you to Newcastle University for then came and invited me or asked me to apply 
Um, so I did have a formal interview process to, uh, to deliver an exhibition project that was around their thematic strands. So it was their first one, which was around ageing, these interdisciplinary strands. And they've got this idea to do some kind of exhibition. Um, and so I did an interview, presented my ideas of what I thought an exhibition could be. Um, and they offered me that piece of work. So that was me then really, yeah. three years on, actually getting into freelance. Yeah, yeah. Seemed to have arrived at a point now where you had almost too much work to, to do, which is a great position to be in for a freelancer. Well, I then, I then stopped doing the economic development work, although I continued to do one day a week for, one, for a local charity yeah. because it was something, it was my community and I wanted to support it. Um, so I... I was doing that and that was and by then I wasn't I wouldn't have been working full-time um, and I didn't want to be working full-time yeah. because I still had preschool aged children um, but but I was doing uh, you know I, I was doing interesting things yeah. um, and I, I loved that as a project that guy was sort of bringing the science and art that I'd always been interested in together again um, and it's using the same tried and tested formula often yeah, you know yeah. I, I went into that interview and said well what about borrowing a Degas from the National Gallery because Degas changed his painting style as he aged because of um, uh, cataracts or retinal apathy or something the aging process caused him to change his painting style so how about we put that in an exhibition yeah um, and people like that idea of Descartes and um, but then you know that that as a, so that was a an 18 month project that um, we got again it's about fundraising we got I got welcome trust funding and then arts council funding for that and other bits and pieces and then convinced the university to invest more to deliver more so it's I think it's sometimes with anything like that is building yeah um, how did you arrive at the position that you're at now with Durham County Council? They had a, uh, a post that managed their exhibition programme at, the, at Durham Art Gallery, which was a gallery space above the DLI Museum. Um, and the, the post holder had decided to go travelling, and so they advertised a temporary position for... a freelance position, for essentially for three months, I think. Um, and I applied for that um, and and got it and three months became kept getting extended every three months and then they started extending it to six months and, and that went on for about four or five years right. uh, all freelance and I was doing other I was doing other bits for other people alongside that um, but uh, but I ended yeah I ended up doing that job for for about four or five years right. Um but always freelance, and then the decision was made to, to close the the DLR museum and the art gallery, and uh, I and I was called in to for them to I I knew there were there was all sorts of discussions going on about that, um, and and I fully expected them to say thank you we're we're closing the art gallery, um, you're freelance we've got no obligation to yeah. you um, goodbye, and and they didn't they said. We still need to do we still want to do visual art stuff so can you do a program but without a space yeah. um which was kind of i don't think they knew what they were asking me to do that was my brief that's a good it was brief, literally though. that sentence like that's in a way i know it's like 
you know, daunting in a way, but and but that's a fantastic brief. It, he said, it is. we want to pay you, and uh, we're not quite sure what we want to pay you for. But they, they said, we want you to do a programme of visual arts activities. And I, I, I don't think they had anticipated quite what I'd then go back to them with. Um, but, and it's, it is about just the same sort of, it's having confidence in yourself to just, to, to put forward proposals to people and get them to buy into what you yeah, want to do. Yeah. And I, I, I'm, I did spend about six months because there was a year period before the museum closed. So I was still running the, the programme, the, the gallery programme, but starting to think, okay, what are we going to do afterwards? And, and how do we do something without a traditional space? Um, and I was fortunate enough that I knew... So by, by that, that time, all my programming pretty much had been contemporary art. Um, so I'd got, gone from a position where I'd started at the Hatton, not doing anything with contemporary art, to everything pretty much. I did some, some historic work uh, or exhibitions of, of uh, historic nature, but, but largely it was contemporary commissions yeah. working with contemporary artists. Uh, and I knew an artist... Um, that was an environmental artist that did things in the landscape um, who lived in the village next door to me. And, and so I just said, okay, okay, let's have a chat. What could we do? Uh, and he had some ideas for, for various things. And there was one, one idea that was um, a projection light installation onto a series of barns. Um, and I, it just, it, it really stood out to me as something that could be really exciting. So I went back to the senior managers at Durham County Council and said, OK, what about this being the sort, an example of what we could do? And we, yeah. could, you know, we could do this, but we could also be doing exhibitions on uh, billboards and bus shelters. And you know, yeah. we, let's think as really outside the boxes. Yeah. Um, and so they, really, they also really liked the, the light installation idea. So that was the first sort of non-gallery project um but what i i had to learn and and they had to accept that doing things out without a traditional space is much more time consuming and much more expensive yeah yeah uh, is that the job that you're now yes doing? so um so there there then went there was a point about a year ago when they said look you, we've had you on these relatively um short-term freelance contracts mm. as, a, as a supplier we need this to be a post for for various reasons to do with changes in HMRC, but also it should be a post, and it give and and whilst I loved being freelance, and in certain respects would um, would have continued happily to be freelance, it gives security to that role, yeah. and, and and I think that's quite important beyond my position. Um, so it it became an employed contract, an employment contract. And and I now have gone, so I still do things in non-spaces, but I also do have two traditional spaces that fall under my remit now as well. So which ones are they? So um, Bishop Auckland Town Hall has a gallery space, um, and we programme that. Um, and I, you know, I work with colleagues to, to programme that as well. Uh, and then um, we created a new gallery space at the beginning of this year, uh, it within the Gala Theatre in a space that used to be the Tourist Information Centre and had been just left empty for a number of years yeah. and, and was used as storage and 
just seemed a wasted space. Yeah. So yeah. for the since January, we've been using that as a gallery space. The freelance thing. Do you think that's the middle period of your career? Do you think it's likely? Yeah. That... Well, one of my other freelance, one of the other freelance uh, pieces of work I'd been doing again over a sustained period was uh, I'd been working at Usher College which is um, a former Roman Catholic seminary for training priests just outside Durham, um, closed as a seminary in 2011 and um, in, since then has been reinventing itself as a cultural and heritage attraction. I mean, it's stunning site, stunning uh, architecture, has collections, um, and uh, the director of development had had invited me to come and have a look and have a chat with him about, uh, essentially about fundraising. Yeah. And I started off, I started off doing fundraising for them, uh, again just a day a week, um, and continued to do that. And they had a re- really small staff, um, because they had very small budgets and, um, and and that's somewhere that's grown and it got to a point. Uh, so whilst whilst I was technically fundraising for them because of my background in curating, I was uh, um, doing other things for them or bringing people in. So getting money in to bring uh, arts and heritage as an organisation to advise on contemporary art programming, um, and then putting t- together exhibitions and supporting. So there's a curator there supporting her putting on exhibitions. Um, so it got to a point with them that they said, we feel we need to have a heritage and cultural manager. Would you be interested in that? Yeah. Um, and it's just such an exciting place yeah, to work yeah. because there's so much potential. And I think is a really different model um, for what a heritage attraction, a heritage and cultural attraction could be because it has got the potential to be self-sustaining because it's a huge estate with commer- big commercial aspects as well so um, so I was really excited to, to be part of that and seeing something quite different emerge uh, during quite an exciting period so if you were if you were starting again if you were and you know what advice would you provide for for someone in your position based upon that huge amount of experience, a varied experience that you've that you've obtained over the last um, 20, 20, 20 odd years. Um, you talked about confidence a lot. There. I think yeah, I th- I think it's being confident in your own ideas and and accepting that people are open to listening to ideas and and. And it's being brave sometimes, and 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 whilst it sound you know it's, it can often seem really daunting to put things forward, um, it, it's the way for you to be able to do things that you know it, the way for you to be able to do things that you want to interest you. Yeah. yeah, and it's it's how how you can make those things interesting to other people as well. Yeah, one really really simple piece of advice that I think has helped um, has helped me um, throughout my career, and I'm sure is being one of the reasons I've got various jobs is know how to fundraise. Yeah. Whatever your job, that is such an asset yeah. because as you say, either when there are there even though we've gone through austerity, um, there are still lots of 
trusts and foundations that will fund yeah. arts and cultural things. And if you know how to write a good funding application, then you can make what you want to do happen. Yeah. Um, but it, you become a real asset to an organisation. Yeah. So even if your job is largely curatorial or exhibitions, being able to say, well, but I know oh, that we, if we did that exhibition, it would be great if we had a Degas from the National Gallery or whatever it might be. Or if we could do a fantastic project with um, a group of um, disadvantaged kids, and I know where we can get the money yeah, from, yeah. and and I know how we can approach that. So, yeah. being able to to fundraise is really really pivotal to yeah. everything I do, yeah. and that might you know may not always be me doing that fundraising, um, but I think just understanding that that the, the importance of fundraising. I suppose one thing I'd also like to give it in terms of advice for for women who have families is is thinking about how how you I think it's really really hard for a lot of women and so many women step down from their jobs and or step down from their jobs or don't maintain their their level of uh, management or whatever that they've reached um, and and I think that's such a waste of yeah. skills and experience um, and I think employers are getting much better at thinking about how flexible working can be um, beneficial for everybody but I think you that you can make it you can make things work for you if you think creatively yeah, yeah. thank you very much Thanks for listening to the podcast. Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud and Facebook using the handle Cultural Peeps. And if you want a bit more information about the Careers Pathway project or about any of the conversations or participants, then there's a project blog which is available at culturalpeeps.wordpress.com.